Good morning, everyone. Welcome out. Welcome to those that are joining us online. We just have a few more weeks of summer before the kids go back to school. Uh, I trust that it's been a good one for you. I know for us, it's been kind of filled with ups and downs. I, I kind of was thinking as Andy was talking there that, that the summer months, the season, you have all the joys of the refreshment of vacation, but there's also the storms. And I think some of us are here this morning and you've been going through a storm this summer. And others of you have been going through a time of refreshment. But regardless of what uh, the summers look like for you, I, I trust that you have experienced the goodness and the kindness of God. And we have this opportunity every Sunday and this morning to gather together for worship, for encouragement or celebration, and also a time to engage with God in his word. So as we do that, let's go to him in prayer. God, we are so thankful. Thankful for your presence. Thankful for your guidance, thankful that you are with us in the good times of life and the hard times of life. And now as we open up our minds and we open up our lives to your word, we pray, Father, that what we know not, that you would teach us, and what we have not, that you would give us, and what we are not, that you would make us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. We'll get there in just a few minutes. Um, since the beginning of the year, we've been walking through God's plan of redemption, God's plan to heal and to restore his creation back to wholeness. Uh, and we realize, I think based on our own experiences, our own personal experiences, we've experienced the brokenness of living in this fallen world. Uh, we have broken homes, broken relationships, broken hearts, broken dreams. Some of you may be here this morning because you look at your life and there are some broken parts of your life. And you came here this morning hoping that God could fix that, that God could heal that. And the good news that the Bible proclaims is that Jesus came to do just that. Um, in Luke's gospel, Jesus quotes right at the beginning of his ministry. He quotes uh, the, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and he says this about himself, about what his mission is. He said that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Jesus says that the purpose of his life, the purpose of his ministry was to fully and to ultimately deal with the brokenness of this world, those things that hold us back from experiencing all that God wants for us, that the spiritual bondage, the spiritual blindness, the spiritual oppression that keeps us from experiencing God to the full. And this morning, we're gonna see Jesus deal with one man's brokenness, but in a way that the guy never thought would happen. And to kind of get you caught up to speed on where we are, right after Jesus' baptism, and then right after he experienced that time of temptation in the wilderness, he immediately begins his ministry. And he's teaching and he's healing all over the, the known world right there in, in Galilee. And he's become famous. I mean, his teachings are spread far and wide and people are saying he's teaching with a level of authority that we've never seen before. And the rumors are flying that the leper is healed and that the blind are seeing and, and that he somehow is able to, to help uh, drive out the demons in a man and he's healed the sick. And everyone is talking about this new teacher and the buzz gets back to his hometown in Capernaum. And when he goes back to his hometown, there is a large crowd waiting on him. And this is what, how it begins in verse one. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such a large, in large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Every time Jesus is around a large crowd, he was teaching. He, he always led with teaching 
before healing. He, he wanted them to understand what God was up to. He wanted them to repent or to turn away from these preconceived ideas of who they thought God was and how it was that they could have a right relationship with him. And, and instead, he wanted them to embrace and to believe that the kingdom of God is near, that, that the good news of God's redemption has come near. Jesus was always teaching. So as we approach these stories of Jesus, we need to come with a heart and with an attitude, with a goal of learning from him. And I think there are two primary lessons, two reminders, if you will, that, that we can always draw from in Jesus' interactions with others. The first is that the way Jesus dealt with people then is how he deals with us today. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he said, one of the reasons that I am here is I need to explain God to you because you're confused about who he is. I've come that you may know the nature and the character of your heavenly father. And John, he says that to know me is to know the father. And God is the same yesterday and today and forever, which means that the way that he dealt with people then is how he deals with us today. In, in these interactions that Jesus had with these, with these other people, we, we see his compassion, we see his concern, we see his graciousness. We, we see his, his, heartbreak, his heartbreak over the brokenness of people. And as you go through the gospels, you read story after story of Jesus who comes to those that have been outcast, that those that are on the outskirts. And he says, I know who you are and I know what you've done and I know what's been done to you and I'm here to make you whole. And then he'd offer this invitation, follow me and I'll change your life. And he's saying the same thing to you and the same thing to me today. He, he wants us to know that that thing that you think of in your life that thinks that it excludes you from God's offer, that, that thing that you think if people knew this about me, they would run away from me. That thing that you think that excludes you from God's offer, from his love, he wants to step in and make whole in your life too. Well, the second lesson that he teaches us is also that the way that Jesus dealt with people then is how we should deal with others today. That is, if I am a follower of Jesus, if I'm trying to follow after his ways and his teachings, then my life should reflect his attitude and his actions towards the people around me, that, that I should treat them the way that he would treat them if he were with me, with kindness and compassion and patience and understanding and extending grace to them, to the people that we love and to the people that are hard to love to the people that may have hurt us, to, to the people that we may now call our enemies. And it's to extend to the people that are like us and also the people that aren't like us, that look different than us, that think differently than us, that vote differently than us, that act differently than us. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that, that we see them the way that Jesus sees them and that we treat them the way that he would. Okay, with that in mind, let's dive into the rest of the story. So the whole town is there. Jesus, this miracle worker, this amazing teacher has come back home. The crowds have gathered to hear him teach and to hopefully witness a healing. And in this interaction that Jesus has with this guy today, he's gonna to clarify at the very beginning of his ministry, what his mission was. So let's pick up in verse three. It says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they, could not get to him, uh, since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. Now, I know the Bible is already a really big book, 
But, but sometimes I just wish there's a little more detail on a story like this, like only two verses. I mean, you have to give me more than that. There's these four guys that show up and this paralyzed man gets lowered down through the roof. I need more details. There's four guys who are healthy enough to, to bring their, their friend up onto the roof and to lower him down. So they're, they're healthy enough to get to Jesus. They know where Jesus is and they could probably beat the crowds there and get a front row seat. But these are also four guys who knew enough about Jesus, knew enough about the stories and the rumors of Jesus that they knew that they had to get their friend there. So the crowd is all rushing. They, they heard that Jesus is at this house. So everybody is going down the street to try to get to Jesus. And one of them stopped and said, but what about Pete? I, I think this miracle worker can actually heal him if we get him there. And then he sees three of his buddies and they take off against the flow to get back to Pete's house. And they load him up on this mat and they're running back to get to Jesus. And, and Pete's just along for the ride at this point. But by the time they get to the house, there's no more room. And it's four or five people deep as people are trying to crane to, to hear what Jesus is saying or to, to see what Jesus is doing. And so maybe one of the guys tries to make his way through the crowd and pokes some people on the shore and say, hey, excuse me, I, we have a friend that needs to see Jesus. And they're going like, hey, buddy, we're all, we all have problems. Get in the back of the line. And then all, all of a sudden, one of them looks up and they say, hey, look, nobody's up on the roof. And I was, I was over at Home Depot the other day and I saw the, this tutorial about how to put in a skylight. I think this would actually work. And back in those days, the, the, there would be a set of stairs that would go up to a flat roof. And during the summer nights, the, the, the families would go up there and that's where they would spend their evenings. So they'd make their way up on the roof and, and the roof at that time would just be a, a, a series of beams and then mud and thatch that, they, that would work together. And so while Jesus is teaching underneath, these four friends are digging their way through the roof. And imagine being inside of the house. You have these chunks of mud and these twigs that are falling down on your head. And then you can just hear the scraping and the scratching. All of a sudden you see a shovel break through the, the, the roof line. And then you see some fingers and hands just kind of breaking through and trying to make the hole as big as possible. And then you see a face that peers down. He says, hey guys, we're coming down. And they start lowering their friend through this hole. And I know Jesus was an amazing teacher, but at that point, the sermon is over. There is way too much. He's not overcoming that distraction. And everyone in the house and everyone outside the house knows exactly what's gonna happen next. These, these friends didn't go through all this trouble to, to get their buddy down so he could hear a sermon. They sent him down for a healing. And everyone is, is gripped with excitement because they're finally going to see what they came to see. But no one would have predicted what Jesus said next. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, and that's a, that's a very important detail, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But Jesus looks up into this hole and he sees the faces of these men who are expecting a miracle. They, because these men believe that if, if we can just get our friend to Jesus, our buddy will be healed. So Jesus sees their faith, but then he says, Son, your, your sins are forgiven. And I can imagine the, these four friends are, are confused, going, what, what did he say? Forgiven? Psst, Jesus, he can't walk. He, he didn't steal something. He didn't come here for forgiveness. He came here for healing. And anyone with eyes can see that 
this man has a much more pressing problem, but Jesus' response is no. No, he doesn't. While everyone, while everyone else saw that his greatest need was for him to be healed and to walk again, Jesus knew his real need was forgiveness. And with that, he announces from the very beginning of his ministry why he came. I have come to forgive you. Literally to, to send away or to cancel the debt that exists between you and God. Yeah, you'll see me heal from time to time because I'm God in the flesh and I have compassion, but there is a greater need here. Son, your sins are forgiven. And in that first century Jewish culture, that phrase right there would have been more shocking to the people in attendance than seeing some guy come down from the roof. In verse six, it says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's a fair question. And they are exactly right on their theology that no one but God can forgive sins. And Jesus and this man have never met before. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they know what he is implying. He is implying that all sins are against me. And the only one who can say that is God himself. And they did not have a construct in their mind to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. They had the right theology, but they had made the wrong deduction. They had made the wrong conclusion about who Jesus was. So they were sitting there thinking to themselves, and that's something you should never do in the presence of Jesus because he has a way of understanding what you're thinking right now. And that's what happens. Jesus presses on. He says, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, which is easier to say. Well, from one perspective, it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven because that's an invisible thing. There's no way to verify whether or not that happens. I could stand up here and say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, and you would not know because there's no way to verify that. But if I say to a paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and walk, you will know immediately whether I have the power to do that or not. And so Jesus says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus says, so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins. I'm gonna show you that I have power over one of the consequences of sin entering this world, physical brokenness and disease. So that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Let's have this fellow stand up and head home to his family. And for the first time, he stands up and his ankles hold up under his weight. And he takes those initial steps, left, right, left, right. And my guess is about halfway through as the crowd parts, he's just sprinting. And the only sound that you can hear at this point, everybody's just floored. And the only sound that you can hear are his four buddies scrambling down the steps to get to him. And it says that the crowd was amazed. And I think Jesus would have thought, you guys missed it. 
You shouldn't be amazed at what you saw. You should be amazed at what I just said. The real miracle that day was not that this man was healed. The real miracle that day was that this man was forgiven. So what do we learn from this interaction between Jesus and this paralyzed man? I wanna give us two big ideas. The first is that our primary need, like that man's, is forgiveness. The, the man and his friends, that they were desperate to get him to Jesus for some physical healing, but Jesus was even more desperate for a spiritual healing. And, and that's why when you see what he did, the, the first thing he did was to offer forgiveness before he healed the man's legs. Jesus, the, the master teacher, uses this interaction with this paralyzed man to teach them and to teach us that, that our primary need in this life is, is forgiveness. It is to be restored with our creator, to be in a right relationship with him. Our primary need is this question of, can I be connected to a holy God in light of my sin? And so often we miss it. I think our prayer lives give it away that so often we, we think in our minds that we have different priorities than what God does, that we pray for our health and we pray for comfort and for safety and, and for financial stability and we pray for our relationships to be healed. And, and we think that our greatest need is for God to enter into our circumstances and fix our problems. And we may know what we want, but, but God knows what we need the most. And in his eyes, our spiritual state is much more urgent than the temporal stuff that goes on this laundry list of requests that we typically bring to him. He, he wants to come into our lives to reach our hearts and to transform our lives from the inside out. And don't get me wrong, God does care about our pressing needs. He, he sees the, the hurts of walking through this broken world and, and he wants to bless us. But Jesus is reminding us that our pressing needs of life are not our primary need, that our health, that our wealth, that our comfort in this life, this earthly life, it'll come and it'll go over a period of 80 or 90 years. And this story and this man's condition is a reminder that things are not always going to go right, but because we live in a broken and fallen world, but Jesus draws near in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that pain and hurt and loss. And he says, I know the consequences of sin in this world and I hate it. My heart breaks that, that you have to deal with the consequences of that, but I have good news because at the top of my list is forgiveness. My reason for coming, the priority that I have is forgiveness. And if you place your faith in me, I will give you what you need the most a relationship with your heavenly father. And sometimes God intervenes and sometimes God heals and sometimes the job comes. But every time God says, yes, but remember that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. That is why Jesus came to, to pay the price so that we could experience forgiveness and wholeness with God. And when we get that, when we understand that our primary need in life has been met, then it frees us to truly live this life the way it was supposed to be. That, that I'm free now to genuinely and fully love, love myself, love others, love God with all that I have. When I understand that Jesus paid the full price that my sin required, that then I can be set free from the guilt and the shame 
and those self-loathing thoughts and that self-condemnation that comes into our lives. And I can embrace the fact that I am fully loved as I am, even on my worst day. And I can be free to extend that love and that forgiveness and that mercy to others. That, that I treat them the same way that Jesus treated me. And I treat them the same way that Jesus would treat them if he were in my shoes. And my love for God is anchored in his forgiveness to me. But when I realize the lengths that God went to pursue me, when I recognize that, that he has healed the unhealable, that he has forgiven the unforgivable, how can I not commit to follow him? And I walk through life and my whole life is an act of worship in response to his grace and his forgiveness. And I can gladly walk through life with an open hand and say, God, my time is yours. My career is yours. My money is yours. My family is yours. Do you know what he did for me? Of course, it's all his. Of course, I can walk through life and worship him. This encounter teaches us that my primary need in life is forgiveness, and I live out of that in the rest of my life. And then secondly, that our faith can connect others to Jesus. It's interesting to note that Mark says that when Jesus saw their faith, that it wasn't the faith of the paralyzed man. It, it wasn't the faith of the paralyzed man that impressed him. It was the faith of his friends. And Jesus responded to their faith and healed the man, which does kind of beg the question, why, why didn't the guy himself ask for the healing? Why was it that the faith of the friends that impressed Jesus? And, and maybe he was so sick that he couldn't speak anymore. Or, or maybe he'd been in this condition for so long that he just lost hope, that, that he didn't really believe that Jesus would heal him. And into that gap and into that hopelessness, these friends' faith stepped in and said, no, we believe for you. We believe that if we can get you to Jesus, that he will heal you. It was their faith that loaded him up on the mat to begin with. It was their faith that pushed through the crowd to try to get him to Jesus. It was their faith that didn't give up and went up on the roof. It was their faith that said, we're gonna do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. When the paralyzed man could do nothing for himself, it was the faith of his friends that made the difference. Without the faith of his friends, that the man would not have been forgiven that day. The man would not have been healed that day because he would not have had an encounter with Jesus. The four friends in this story, they're in they're an inspiration to us because we look at the initiative and the perseverance that, that they had, and they're just ordinary people. We, we don't even know their names, but they had this amazing, incredible act of faith. That, that faith for them wasn't just a, a thought, but they actually put actions to their faith and did something with it. They, they believed so strongly that, that Jesus could make a difference in their friend's life that nothing could discourage them. Nothing could deter them. Nothing could detour them from getting their friend to Jesus. And like these guys, we all know people who are hurting who are experiencing just the brokenness of life and, and they're, they're paralyzed with guilt or fear or worry. They may be paralyzed with, with just self-destructive behavior or, or, or they're, they're, they're paralyzed because they're just in a broken marriage or a broken relationship and maybe they're gripped by loneliness or depression or, or grief. That we all know people who have Needs, And we have friends that we know that Jesus can meet, but we are that connecting link. 
that it's our responsibility to connect them to the one that can heal them. And what this story is teaching us is that sometimes the faith of others is so weak, the circumstances of life or whatever it is that that their faith is so weak that we have to believe for them. So who is it that God has brought in to your life, who has put on your heart to pray for and, and to be that connection between them and Jesus? Maybe for you, it, it's a prodigal son or daughter that, that has turned their life away from God and you bring them to Jesus each night in prayer saying, Jesus, I know that you can change them. I know that you can reach them. I know that you can change their heart and bring them back to you. Or maybe it's a friend or a family member or a coworker who's just living far from God and you're the connection for them that you are the bridge between them and Jesus. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be that kind of people who carry others to Jesus. May we always be able to, to embody the faith of, of these friends, the, these, the love of these friends that says, but what about them? Yeah, I, I, can, I'm, I can make it, but what about them? What, what about their eternity? And how do I get them to Jesus? Maybe it's inviting them to come to church with you on Sunday. Bribe them with some food, a brunch beforehand or lunch afterwards, but invite them to come with you. Or maybe you give a book in their hands or you direct them to a podcast that they can listen to. Or maybe you just simply ask them, how can I pray for you? And be able to build that bridge between them and Jesus. The fact is that each of our faith stories, it includes some people who carried us to Jesus. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a coworker who prayed for us, who, who shared Jesus with us, who didn't take no for an answer the first time or the second time, but they, they persevered and they did whatever it took to get us into the presence of Jesus so that we could have our own encounter and experience him in our lives. And now it's our opportunity. Now it's our turn. Now we have the ability and the responsibility to connect others to the one that can heal them. This story challenges us to ask, whose mat can I carry? Who am I supposed to carry to Jesus? And what are you willing to do to get your friends or your family members to experience experience what you have? Because that's what God's asking for all of us to do. And carrying people's mats, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's messy, but people need Jesus. And it's our great privilege to be a part of his mission to reach those that that need to hear this good news. And that he can do a healing work in their lives like he did in ours. Let me pray for us. God, I stand amazed at just your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy that you brought into my life. I was the paralyzed man. I I was the one that was stuck and, and you pursued me, that you used others to chase after me, God, and you have made such a difference. Your mercy and your grace has transformed my life. Help me to see others as you do. Help me to to extend your patience and your kindness and your mercy and your grace. Help me be a taste of 
who you are and who you want to be in their lives. God, thank you for meeting my primary need. That even when I didn't know that that was my need, God, that you met it, that you made it all possible. You made a way where there was no way so that I could experience eternal life with you and the full life right now. And God, we've all got faces of people right now in our minds, people that we know who need you. So I just pray in this moment that you would give us clarity of what those next steps could look like, what those conversations could look like, and then give us the courage and the boldness to take those steps, to carry our friends and our family members back to you because we believe. We believe and we know that you can change their lives the way that you changed ours. God, thank you for the example of Jesus and for his mercy and his grace that makes this all possible. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you back here next time. Have a good one, guys.